Welcome to Thousand Hills Range Church. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it speaks to your heart. I'm a member of the country club. Country music is what I love. I drive an old Ford pickup truck. I do my drinking from a Well, it don't get any more spiritual than Travis Tritt. Can I get an amen on that? It's more about his mullet than anything else. Anybody remember that? Anybody seen that video from back in the day? Oh, it's so good. I don't even think he had jeans with holes in them. He had leather pants with holes in them. But anyway, so you may be thinking, well, what the heck are we singing that song for? Well, I desired to maybe tie that into my message today, and here's how. You know, in, in that song, you guys just heard the song, but in that song, you, you see uh, Travis Tritt, and he's talking, you know, about this woman that he maybe sees in a limousine. He sees her driving on the road, and he, he says, well, I'm going to follow this woman. He follows her to the country club, and he gets out, and he's like, hey, I want to buy her a drink. And uh, to what does she reply? Only members are allowed in here, Right. Anybody? Yeah. So he replies, you know, I'm a member of a country club myself. You're right. I'm a member of a country club. I, you know, country music is what I love. You know, drive an old Ford pickup truck, do my drinking from a Dixie cup. You know, the moral of the story is he wasn't welcome, obviously, in that country club. He wasn't accepted. He wasn't even invited because he wasn't necessarily good enough. He wasn't rich enough. He wasn't just wasn't that type of person. And knowing Travis Tritt, his mullet was way too long. Right. <laughs> um, and so here's the thing. Here's how I want to tie this in. One of the many reasons why I love Thousand Hills Ranch Church is because we've done our darndest to de- tear down every religious barrier, every social barrier that is out there so that everyone is welcome, everyone is invited, and everyone is accepted. Amen? And so we may be a part of a country club, but it's more of the Travis Tritt type. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so you guys just start growing your mullets, okay? And we'll fit right in. We'll be like Mike Gundy. Anybody seen his mullet lately? That's what I'm talking about. By the way, our OSU and our Sooners won. Can we give it up for both? So here's the thing, though. As much as I love our church and as much as, you know, I think it's just the best church ever, I've also seen a progression in our church, and one of the things that I noticed that even this year that in our purpose statement, we used to say, uh, Thousand Hills Ranch Church exists to reach the unchurched Western culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ by tearing down religious barriers and building authentic relationships. Well, God began to impress on my heart that one of the things that you need to change in your purpose statement is you need to take out the words Western culture. Um, and you, many of you guys already know this, but we did. We took it out. So now it reads, Thousand Hills Ranch Church exists to reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus Christ by tearing down religious barriers and building authentic relationships. Yeah. 
Now, you say, well, why, why did you change that? Well, even in our church, unintentionally, I believe that we had this, you know, unintentional exclusiveness that, you know, if you weren't cowboy or if you weren't Western, then you weren't welcome or invited or whatever. And it was unintentional. And so, uh, again, if you've ever felt that, I apologize for that. We desire to reach everybody. We desire to reach the unchurched. Um, No matter if they're rich, no matter if they're poor, no matter if they're a city folk or if they're country, we've been called to reach the world. And so here's the cool thing. I've been told by, you know, many of you guys that because we changed that, now you feel even more accepted, more invited and even more welcome at our church. And so, again, I've seen that. I've seen that. But here's the other side of it. I believe that God has more in store for our church. I believe that God wants to to move our church to a whole nother level in, in, in many areas. And so that said, he's laid on my heart to share with you um, to, that, that we desire not to just put things in writing, but we actually want to put them into action. And so here's the thing. We are never going to compromise the word of God. Amen. But we will continually tweak the method. Does that make sense? We're never going to compromise the message of Jesus Christ and how he died so that you and I can be forgiven. And if you accept him into your life, he's going to give you eternal life. We're never going to compromise that. But we will always tweak the method. You say, well, why do we do that? Well, because we want to reach more and more and more people. And so here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we live in a world, uh, and it doesn't take a genius to notice this, but we live in a world that is full of tension. Anybody notice that? We live in a world that is sadly full of violence. And especially nowadays, we live in a world that is full of protests. We live in a world that is full of riots and shootings and all this stuff. There's one key element that I want to talk about today that I believe is the key element to all of it. And it is this one word, racism. Racism. Now, a few weeks ago, I did a series called Don't Tread on Me. And we talked about you know, how we're going to fight for racial reconciliation in our church. And that is still the passion of my heart. And I hope that it's the passion of your heart. But here's the thing. Much of the racism is between blacks and whites, right? I mean, and, and like the stereotype of, you know, being in a country club, and I know not everybody that goes to a country club is a stuck-up jerk. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that, you know, are probably members of country clubs, and they're great people. But just like the stereotype of being in a country club, a person that, of that status, you know, the stereotype is that they're more superior, right? They have better things, all that stuff. I believe that, you know, a lot of racism is just the same thing. Racism is the feeling that I'm superior over you because of the color of my skin. And therefore, I can oppress you, I can marginalize you, I can even show violence towards you because you're of another color. That's what racism is. And so today, I want to preach a message entitled, Country Club. Here's the subtitle. How the church can be a part of the answer to racism. And you may be asking yourself these questions like I ask myself. Why are we talking about this topic? I mean, some of you guys, I can see it on your face. Why are we talking about this topic? You know, we don't even have a lot of African Americans in our community. Why would he? It doesn't even affect us. Well, we have one in our church and a family in our church right over here. 
Victor and, and Grace Moyer, a beautiful family um, and with beautiful children. And we have different color in our church. We have different color in our community. And by the way, we are growing with Hispanics in our, in our community. I don't know if you noticed that or not, right? Yeah. And so here's the, here's the answer. You say, well, why, why do we talk about this? I mean, it, we, it doesn't even affect our community. It, here's the truth. It, it really doesn't matter if we only have one African-American or if we have two million. The concern for human beings who are made in the image of God should be what motivates us, not a number. Amen? Amen? And so, not to mention, it's on every media channel that you turn to. It's in every report that you read. It's in every magazine. I was, uh, I was in the Dallas airport on Thursday, and I looked over on the, on the, on the counter, and I saw this picture. Right, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem. Every time I turn on the TV, it's there. Every time I turn on the radio, it's there. It's everywhere. And so for you to say, this stuff doesn't affect me, it's just not true. And here's the other side of it. You need to have an answer and I need to have an answer for it. People are asking questions. They're asking what we think. They're asking, what does your church believe? And so you say, well, the context is we don't have all these minorities in our community. Well, again, it's just not true. The shootings, all that stuff is a part of our culture, whether we want it to be or not. And here's the other side of it. Your kids are going to deal with it even more. Can I just say that? So you need to prepare your kids as well. But there's a story in the Bible that I want to touch on today that that I believe God wants to show us what the church's part is to being the answer to racism. Look at it with me. And I'll preface it by saying this. Guess what? The Jews of the Bible, they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were of a mixed race. They were part Jew and then they were part um, some other race that they joined together and they became their own race. And so they thought they were superior over the Samaritans. And so let's check this story that Jesus is a part of right here in John chapter 4. Look at it with me. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return uh, to Galilee. And he, he had to go through Samaria. This is where the Samaritans lived on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sachar near the field uh, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a what? A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was what? Surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Jesus said, or she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon 
become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. But sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll I'll never thirst again and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, I don't know if that's funny to you, but Jesus is talking on a whole nother level about some spiritual water. And she's thinking, well, give me some of that so I don't have to walk to this stinking well. You know what I'm saying? So, again, I'll give you the backstory. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Okay, Samaritans, they were a racially mixed people. Jews saw themselves as superior over these Samaritans. And the Jews weren't even supposed to talk to them. A man, a Jew, was never to even talk to a Samaritan woman without her husband being there. And so, uh, based on that, clearly, there was some racism going on in their day. But, look at what Jesus was doing. Jesus He was a Jew. He was a man. Yet he speaks to this Samaritan woman and he has a conversation with her that eventually changes her life. And it changes the world around them. And so you say, okay, what what can we learn from this story? Well, here's what I believe. If the church is going to be a part of the answer to racism, number one, and this is the main focus, number one, the church must be a part of the conversation. Let me say it again. If we're going to be a part of the answer to racism, then the church must be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Look at verse 7. Again, it says this. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, what did he say? Please give me a drink. You say, well, what's the, what's the main point of that? Or what's the purpose of that? Well, those five words by Jesus, a Jew, changed everything. It changed everything for, again, the woman and for the Jews. I mean, Jesus, he didn't let the laws of the land stop him. He didn't care what his buddies were going to think. He took it upon himself to have a conversation. And so here's the thing. I heard one pastor put it this way. Conversation is the conduit of change. Loving, sympathetic, open conversations can make a difference. And conversation can help prevent racism. It can do it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that sounds like a really good pep talk. No, it's it's true. And Jesus is giving us an example of how we can do this. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, have you looked at our crazy, mad world? Have you looked at how, you know, how angry people are? Are you crazy? You want me to talk about issues that are sensitive issues like this with people? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And you say, okay, how do I do that? If you're saying that I should do that, give me some ways that I can meaningfully share, you know, these conversations about these issues. Well, here's something that I've learned. Number one is this. Private conversations are usually better than public ones. You say, oh, I don't know how to talk about these issues. Well, let me give you some advice and let me give you some scripture. The private conversations are usually better than public ones. I want you to look at the story again. Jesus, you know, gives an indication of where the best place is to have a conversation. Look at verse eight. He was what? Alone. Let me just stop right there. 
So here you have this story happening at a well at noontime when most people are in their homes because it's hot. Jesus is alone. And more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, the Samaritan woman is alone as well. You say, why? Well, she had had five husbands. She was an outcast even amongst her own people. And she was there at noontime because that's when everybody was gone and she could approach the well without being ridiculed. And so you say, well, you know, so this conversation happened at a well? Yes. And it only happened with Jesus and this woman. And you say, okay, but what's the takeaway? Well, the private one-on-one conversations or small group conversations are usually the best place to have these conversations. Here's what I believe. Bold public statements typically stop the conversation. Just blurting things out and your opinion and I'm going to post this big thing on Facebook. I'm going to put this where everybody can read it. They usually stop the conversation. And I'll give you an example. I have a pastor. He's a friend of mine. And he likes to make bold public statements. And he does it on Facebook. And uh, one day he, uh, he posted this comment that any Christian woman that wears a two-piece bathing suit shouldn't call themselves a Christian. Now, before you judge him, he's a friend of mine, but here's the thing. Guess what that bold public statement did? It stopped every girl that's ever worn a two-piece bathing suit, every woman that's worn a two-piece bathing suit from coming to him and asking him for help. Does this make sense? I'm telling you, and and I don't know if anybody ever saw that post, but they would probably not attend his church just based on that statement. You say, okay, but what should he have done? Here's the advice that I would have given him. I've dealt with teenagers all my life, and so I know teenage boys and I know men. So here's the thing. Wearing a two-piece bathing suit, it's not, you know, wrong in and of itself. My wife wears two-piece bathing suits, and she's a preacher's wife. Can I get an amen? And she looks good. (laughs) But here's the thing. You say, what should he have done? Well, I would say you get together with your teenagers that live in your home first. You get together with the youth minister. You get together with the women's minister. And you begin to share with them why modest is hottest. Does that make sense? And if you wear certain things, obviously, then certain guys are going to think of certain things. And they're going to stumble and you're going to be part of that cause. And so having a private conversation within a group of people and sharing your opinions and your beliefs in a private way, in that instance, I think would have been more helpful. Now you say, okay, back to this racism deal. Can you actually have a private conversation that doesn't get heated and angry and all that stuff? Sure. And you say, well, how do you know? Because I've had them. I was able to spend time with Victor And Grace, in their home, got to sit at their table and chat with them about their interracial marriage and about their biracial children and how this idea of racism affects their family. And guess what? I was enlightened. It helped. It it helped us find common ground. We talked about things that she may have never talked about, and I talked about things that I may have never talked about. And we compared our thoughts of what we believe about certain issues, and we were able to walk away from that and pray together and love each other, and they're obviously very big supporters of our church. Yeah. And so the, the fact is, private conversations about issues is healthy. 
That's a great thing. The fact is this. It doesn't only work with racism. It can work with someone that may be dealing with same-sex attraction. It can work with someone that is a soldier talking about the war and how you don't agree with it. Well, talk to those people privately. Get to know those soldiers. Get to figure out why they think that the way they do. Figure out why these couples think that living together is better than not living together. Right? And have a conversation with them. Here's what I've found. I can get a lot further with people when I share the truth with them privately sitting down one-on-one. By the way, conversation doesn't mean you condone anything. You know what it means? That you care. Because you call those people and you say, man, I want to get to know you. I want to help you. I want to do whatever I can to, to serve you. And so, again, conversation is the conduit of change. And it usually works best one-on-one in those situations. Here's something else that I've learned in, about a conversation. Some people, listen, and you may be one of them. Some people believe that Christians and the church shouldn't be a part of anything like this. Any, any of these social issues, we should just leave them alone. We shouldn't talk about politics. We shouldn't talk about the issues that, you know, the laws of the land. We shouldn't talk about any of those things. Christians should just stay out of it. The church should just stay out of it. You shouldn't be friends with congressmen. You shouldn't voice your opinions to your senators. You shouldn't do any of that. Well, here's the thing about that. Here's what happens. Those people that believe that you shouldn't talk about those things, guess what? Their belief is, is a great theory until it becomes a reality in their life. I want you to get this. I have a brother-in-law who's a police officer. Guess what? If he becomes a part of a situation where he has to shoot somebody and kill somebody, guess who's going to be a part of the conversation then? I am. And my family is. And everybody is. You know why? Because it became a reality for me. If uh, Victor and uh, Grace's sons, one of their sons, gets pulled over, harassed, and shot by one of our police officers, guess who's going to be a part of the conversation? A mama and a daddy. And guess what? This is the greatest time for the church to step in and show their support for someone that is hurting or some injustice. And so you say, well, I don't know. We should talk about all this stuff. I mean, it doesn't affect us. Here's the sad truth. Someday it will and it will become a reality. And guess who you're going to want to call? You're going to call anybody that can change the law. You're going to call the police chief. You're going to call the congressman. You're going to call the senator. And so here's the point. I am not going to wait until it becomes a reality in my life. I'm going to do something before it happens. And our church is going to do something about it as well. And it starts with a conversation. Not talking about it. Everybody believes it's it's okay not to talk about it until it becomes a reality in their life. And guess what? They want to talk about it. Here's what else I've learned. Whatever we avoid, the devil invades. Whatever I say, I just don't want to be a part of that. Guess what? The devil takes over. Guess what he does? He starts screaming. He starts, yes, I got the Christians. I got the church out of politics. Now I can take over. I got the Christians in the church out of, you know, that that social issue of, of racism or homosexuality. I got the Christians, they're shut up about it. And guess what? 
the devil invades. The truth is, whatever we avoid, the devil will take over. He'll take over. And so some of you guys are like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I, again, I don't know if I should talk about this. Well, don't talk about it with your kids. And guess what? The devil will invade. I'm just telling you. That's just the way it works. And so the first thing is we should be a part of the conversation. They're best handled one-on-one. The second thing that I'm learning is this. We should approach the conversation with empathy. When you have a conversation with someone, you should approach it with empathy. I want you to look back at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan. In verses 6 through 9, it says this. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long journey, sat wearily beside a well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. But she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And here's the key verse right here. But sir, you don't have a what? A rope or a a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Now you say, well, what's the point? Well, the point is this. The Samaritan woman, she was obviously confused. She was wanting some, you know, real water, you know, that would help her to not have to come back to the well. But her statement in verse 11, guess what? It points out a fact about Jesus. It points out that he literally did not have a bucket to get the water out of the well so that he could have a drink. You say, well, what's that mean? Well, guess what Jesus would have had to have done? He would have had to drink from her cup. Here you have a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman. He's already tore down that barrier. Then he says, hey, guess what? I want a drink from your cup. And you say, well, Bo, what does that look like? Here's the application. If we're going to be a part of the answer to racism, then we must drink from each other's cup. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, we must share their pain. We must share the struggle. We must share the loss. We must share all of it. Not just have sympathy for people, oh, those poor people. I mean, and then flip the channel and not have pity on them, but to actually have empathy where we share their pain. Let me ask you this. When you see a black person on a TV and one of their friends maybe got shot and killed and you see them holding up signs, black lives matter, black lives matter. Here's what I see a lot of white people doing. They hold up their signs and they go, all lives matter, all lives matter. Now, some of you guys are like, well, it's true. I mean, all lives matter. Why do we just point out one? Why do we just point out one race? Well, here's the point. The point is we've skipped an important command. And it's not to hold up a different sign so that we can prove a point. Look at Romans 12, 15. It says this. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Mourn with those who mourn. You know what our black friends want when some of their friends get shot? They want us to mourn with them. 
They want us to empathize. They want us to share the struggle. They want us to show up at the funeral. They want us to love them. They want us to care for them. They want us to send them meals. They want us to show our love for them, not hold up our signs and say, oh, look at us. I mean, really? And so listen, you say, well, isn't it important to, you know, say that all lives matter? Sure. I mean, all lives do matter. But at the end of the day, someone's hurting. Someone just lost their child. And they need someone that can speak love into their life and be there no matter what. Here's the other thing. We are commanded to listen first. To be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Look at James 1.19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. And so here's the thing. The next time that you see some form of racism and it comes up in the news or in a conversation, guess what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm telling you, it will change the dynamic of your life and the dynamic of that person's life as well. Here's a personal rule that I've tried to implement in my own life. You ready? I will not criticize something that I don't understand. I mean, here's what I see people doing. They see 10 seconds of a video of someone getting shot and then they start going, holy crap, that's wrong. Holy crap. You know, that's just injustice. I mean, why is that police officer? Why'd she get thrown in jail? Why'd that guy get shot? I mean, all this stuff. And they start making all these uh, criticisms of something that they saw 10 seconds of. Again, here's what I've learned. I will not criticize. I will try my best not to criticize something I don't understand. Because the truth is, I don't. And the truth is, I see people all the time, they make these big, bold statements, why that's wrong, and then the truth comes out and they look like a fool. And so here's the other side of it. If there is something that you've experienced, if there's something that that does affect you, it's okay to talk about injustice. But it happens one-on-one again. And it can get public. There is a time for that. But it also needs to be done in love. And it needs to be done in the name of God of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Here's the other thing that I've noticed. Um, A lot of white people, myself included, we go up to our black friends and we're like, dang man, why are you guys so upset? I mean, I'm not the one who shows the racism. That was a bunch of old folks, you know, white folks from back in the day. I mean, those guys, those are the ones who had slaves. I've never had a slave, right? And we look at our friends, we're like, why don't you just get over it? Here's the answer, and I heard this answer from a guy named A.R. Bernard, an African-American pastor, and here's what he said. White folks today may not be the perpetrators of racism, but they are the benefactors of racism. Again, I may not be the one who had a slave. I may not be the one who's, you know, showing racism, but guess what? I am the benefactor of it. Just look around. If you don't think white people have a privilege, you're wrong. You are wrong. Guess what? My kids have never been followed in a a grocery store because they suspected they were going to steal something. You know why? Because they're white. And so you say, well, why don't they just get over it? Why don't they just stop? Well, listen, we benefit from that and it is wrong and it is part of our day. And so you say, well, how can the church be a part of racism we got to do what Jesus did. We have to have personal conversations filled with empathy, filled with love, 
and, and, and we have to listen. And here's the last thing. In our conversation, we should offer hope in Jesus. We should offer hope in Jesus. Look what Jesus offered this Samaritan woman who he wasn't even supposed to be talking to. It says in verse 13 and 14, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You know what Jesus did? He didn't look at her race. He didn't look at her color. He says, hey, Guess what? I'm going to offer you the same thing that I offer everybody else, and that's hope in me. And so listen, you say, well, what's this all about? What's the racism all about? I believe at the end of the day, racism, anger, violence, it's all a result of sin. And Jesus is the only one who can conquer sin. And so we have to give him Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. Again, some of you are here today and um, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know about all this. I don't know about Christians or churches being a part of the, the conversation. I don't, I don't know about that. Well, all I can ask you is if you're going to be a part of our church, I would ask you to be a part of that, to be a part of the conversation because our church is going to be a part of it. And you say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, I want to be a part of that answer. Well, my prayer is that you do. And my prayer is that after today that you will consider having a conversation so that you can understand something better about someone of a different color. And so here's the question. Are you willing to have conversations that really matter? Are you willing to have a conversation that, is, that it allows us to be a part of the answer, not the problem? I hope that you are. I know Jesus, if he were to come back, he would be a part of the conversation. He would not sit by and wait for another violent act. And so maybe you're here today and you don't understand, again, what God expects of you. Well, I hope today you do. And maybe your prayer needs to be something like this. Lord, Lord, help me to have conversations that you want me to have. Help my actions to reflect who you are. Not who the world is. Not who my daddy taught me to be. But who you are. Help my conversations to be full of love. To be full of empathy. Help me to drink from another person's cup so that I can relate with them. Lord, help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And Lord, when we have conversations, I pray that you would just just open up the floodgates of your blessing in those conversations. That we would find common ground with people that, that maybe aren't like us. And that we would show the love that you've given us to those who feel like we, they don't deserve it. 
who feel like, you know, churches and Christians are just superior, rich, white folks that, that can't relate to me. And so, Lord, help us to be a part of the conversation. And help us to be a part of the answer to the issues of our world. Lord, thank you that you've shown us a great example. Now may we live like you. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this message. If you have made a commitment today or have questions, you can contact us at info at thousandhillsranch.church or 580-216-6427. And may God bless the ride you're on.